Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 14th of July 2019. This evening we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from James chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, and brings us a message entitled, The Low Are Made High. Good evening. Good to be here. That is a, a great day that we have had an absolute scorcher of a day. So whatever you, you got up to, if it was watching the golf, watching Wimbledon, which as far as I'm concerned, it's still going on. They haven't finished Djokovic and Federer. So no spoiler alerts in, in case anybody's rushing to get home with that. Um, we don't know who's won that yet. Or if you're spending the time with friends, family, or went for a drive, gone ice cream, and it's been a it's been a great day. Thank you for for coming back. I'll emphasise and reiterate all that Terry has said. I should have, should have said this morning also in regards to both the, the summer club and for the holiday Bible club. If if you know of you've nieces, nephews, grandchildren, and whatever that may uh, may be interested in that, please tell them, get them involved. Um, it would be more than welcome to have them here um, over the course of the next uh, number of events that we have planned. So um, please take this leaflet. There's plenty of them at, out, out in the foyer there. Uh, pass them on. That would, that would be something practical that would really be uh, beneficial. That would be really great. If you, if you have a Bible version of God's Word, please open it with me as we together look tonight. As we continue in the New Testament letter of James, James is towards the end of the New Testament, just after the the book of Hebrews. If you have um, in between First Second Peter, just before that, I want to read uh, again four verses from chapter one, continuing on. We were looking at five to eight this morning as we looked at. Wisdom and how God that is available, the wisdom of God is available to to those, to all of us, particularly the believers. Let's read God's word together, starting at verse nine, and then we'll read down to verse twelve. So this is this is God's word. Let's listen. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass. He will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls, the flower, the, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. We know God will bless the public reading of his word. Let's pray as we come to look at these verses in God's word. Lord, we thank you for for all that you mean to us. Thank you for the the good gifts that you provide and you offer to us. On a day like this, we we thank you for the the beauty of, of your creation. But Lord, we come and we pause this evening as we consider your word, your matchless and perfect word. But Lord, we we praise you um, because you're the author of that word. We don't worship a book, we worship you who are worthy of our worship, Lord. So we ask that you would be revealed to us tonight through your word, Holy Spirit, that you would speak into all of our 
hearts, all of our lives, all of our, our conditions and our situations. Lord, would we be left in awe once again of who you are and what you have accomplished for us on behalf and through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus we pray and we ask in his name. Amen. Amen. If you've, and hope, I'm sure many of you have been following along with us as we've been looking at James, spend most, all of our time so far in James chapter 1. Uh, and once we get to, to this part of, of James, our, your initial thought, it certainly was my thought once we read the verses that we have read, is that we may um, get, we may naturally become stuck as to why they are here. May read along the stream from verse one and chapter one down, and we might get to verse nine and might just might jam with us slightly in why is why does why does this come right now? Why in the the broader context of James talking about trials and suffering, and in the immediate context is what he's just said is what we consider this morning about uh, wisdom and, and faith and doubt. And um, does James all of a sudden? start talking about really the, the economical standing of those that he's writing to. What, and the question that we might ask is, well, why is he trying, or what is the, the message that he is trying to convey right now? If we were to, to read the, the rest of the letter, letter, don't worry, we're not, we would we'd quickly see that, that James is introducing verses 9, 9 to 11 specifically, one of his, his main themes and that is rich and poor, riches and poverty. James, uh, time and time again in his letter, will talk about the rich and the poor. He'll talk about those who have riches, those who have much in this life, but also those who have very little. This is the first instance in chapter 1, and he goes on to mention it a number of time, times. See, the group of, of believers that, that James was addressing in this New Testament letter 2,000 years ago were a crowd and they, and they were diverse in many, many ways. They're a mixed bag, ragtag type of group. And one way their, their diversity is expressed is in their, their bank accounts and in, in what they had. Many of who James was talking to would have been living in really abject poverty. If you may remember, they're, they're dispersed Christians. They have, they've left their homeland. They've left a lot of what they had. And they, they're now in new territory. So naturally, they're displaced. They're, they're really refugees, in a sense, in a foreign land. So they, they, they don't have much. But some would have still acquired a, a little bit of wealth. Some would have been able to have carried their possessions into this new homeland Many would have still brought their, their slaves with them that would have been connected with them. And they would have brought their, 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 their possessions, their, their money, their status into their newfound home. But though we, we may, say, may just specifically connect this to just the, the Christians, um, we'll see later on that James isn't just specifically talking to Christians here. And once we even think about it on a general level, this is very applicable to those in the church, but also to those outside of the church, those who are not Christians. What James wants to teach in, in just these few verses is that that. And the essence is that what we have or what we do not have can have a profound influence on how we live our lives. And furthermore, also how we prepare for eternity. 
Let me say that again. What James wants to teach in these few verses is that what we have or what we do not have can have a profound influence on how we live our lives, but also how we prepare for eternity. To underline his his teaching and his challenge, James presents two paradoxes. Now, big fancy word. A paradox is really something, it's, it's, it's a saying, a thing which is seemingly contradictory. It's something that appears to be opposed to what is common sense or what is, is true. So an example of that would be you know, giving is receiving. Oscar Wilde, famous author, many of you have heard of him, he has a famous quote that says, I can resist anything but temptation. Sort of get a gist of that. It's something that you hear and it, 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 it seems to uh, uh, propose the opposite or it seems to contradict itself. And once we, we look at, at the Bible, the Bible is full of paradoxes and some of them I, you could spend all evening looking at these. These are just a few. We, we see the Bible talk about the weak are made strong. The first will be last. The slave is free. And James continues that, that scriptural trend here. And this is to, to labor his point. He, he, he puts two paradoxes in. The first paradox is in, in verse 9. And it's that the rich are poor. Or we could just say the rich poor. Let's read uh, verse 9 again in James chapter 1. It says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. James encourages the the lowly brother. Who's the lowly brother? Well, it's the person who is poor. And specifically with the connection of brother, this is the lowly Christian, the the poor believer. The poor believer. And what are they to do? They are to to boast in their exaltation. What's their exaltation? They're, They're lifting high. They've been made high. They have a high standing, not in anything that they've done, but as we'll see, it's in their newfound position with God. James is telling those with really very little that in, in the midst of, of their lives, their, their temporary struggles, which really we have to say poverty is one of these trials of various kind that James makes reference to in verse 2, that, that, they, can po- that they can boast, that they have solid ground to boast in. Now, what could they possibly boast in? It's not that they're, they're boasting in the fact that they are poor. It's not James saying that every Christian has to give all and every penny away and that they have to live with, with nothing. It's not that they boast that they have no money or no possessions. Furthermore, they're not to boast that the, that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has delivered them from poverty. That's a message that's branded about quite a lot. We would often talk about um, prosperity gospel, that come, have faith, believe in Jesus, and problems will disappear, health will be made better, bank accounts will be filled. No, that's not what James is saying, and that's not what these believers would have known, because they were still in poverty, but that they would boast in the fact that they are rich. Not the riches that this world craves for, but the riches that heaven offers to pearly, lowly humanity. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings the poor in this world to realize that it doesn't matter what we have in a material sense in life, because one day 
all that will not matter. Whoever had much or whoever had little will all be insignificant whenever we die. James, in in this paradox in verse 9, is he is flipping social conventions and reality on their head. James is saying, and often what we don't think like, is that if you are poor physically with limited resources, it it actually can be an incredible form of grace from God. Let me explain that a little bit. Because of, of your circumstances, they are actually leading you to trust in Jesus Christ. See, in the absence of physical wealth and physical resources, the poor can boast all the more in the glorious riches that they have in Jesus Christ. Verse 9 can actually um, be translated like this. It can, it can go like this. The lowly brother ought to boast in his height. Really, to summarize that, the low are made high. It's not too much of a sweeping statement. I hope it isn't. Um, if it is, well, you can blame me. But those who are, are poor on, on this, in this world generally have a greater willingness to listen and embrace the gospel message. I wonder if that, that's certainly my experience of things. I wonder if that's your experience. If you've ever done uh, door-to-door, if you've had that opportunity, I've had that experience, you'll know this full well. Usually once you go knock on a door of someone with a big fancy house, um, by and large, I've had a number of experiences where that door has slammed very, very quickly. But if you want any more evidence to that, I know this is a sweeping general statement. I'm not saying this is universal. It encapsulates everyone. Well, we just have to look at our world currently. Where is Christianity thriving? What continent is Christianity thriving? Predominantly, it is thriving in the continent of Africa. There's a lot of rise within Asia, but predominantly in Africa. Where is Christianity struggling? Where is Christianity being strangled out? Well, it's, it's here. It's in in our country, it's in Western society, it's in Europe, and it's in North America. And why is that? Well, that's where the power, that's where the wealth and the money is prevalent. Think about the life of Jesus Christ. Who did Jesus spend most of his time with outside of his group of followers, his disciples? Was it the elite, the powerful, those who could make big decisions? No, no. Certainly he had interaction with them, but that's not how he spent most of his time. But he spent most of his time with the sick, the lame, the marginalized, and yes, the poor. They were willing to listen and embrace his message quicker than those who had it all. It's difficult to say, but being physically poor is actually a blessing which is often hidden in disguise. God uses our circumstances, situations, experiences to speak to us about himself, even in the most difficult of times. I'm sure many in this room, if I say the name Joni Erickson Tata, 
that will um, you will know who I'm talking about. If you don't, Joni Erickson Tata is an American lady, and she is a very prominent writer and speaker. Uh, and Joni Erickson Tata is famous uh, because once she was a teenager, she was involved in a, a, a terrible diving accident, accident, and it left her paralysed uh, from the neck down. So she is a, a quadriplegic. And if you ever hear Tony Erickson Tata, which is phenomenal, she is phenomenal, uh, you'll often hear her quote and say that, say uh, many times that she is very thankful to God for her paralysis, which just sounds completely strange to us. And her reason for that is that it's not that she's glad that she is paralyzed, but she's glad that God would use her accidents, the fact that she can't move from the neck down, to speak to her in her situation. It would, that is exactly what God's used to speak to her, to challenge her, and ultimately to win her over, to wholeheartedly follow her and follow him for the rest of her days. And so God used terrible accidents to speak to Joni Erickson Tata. I know it's not to do with money, but we get, we get the point that's being conveyed there. In the same sense, God can use our economic state um, to speak into our lives. Think of very famous words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, not that uh, as, he's, as he's praising them for, for giving and um, sending, them, uh, sending him support. And he says this in verse 11, chapter 4, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then this very famous words, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was in prison and he had nothing, but he was able to be content because of the gospel, because of who he was following, Jesus Christ. See, poverty can be the fertile ground for real transformation to take place. The poor can learn to be content and lean wholly on Christ. They have nothing in this world, but one day they know they will have everything. They will reign with Jesus Christ. They will be co-heirs of the Son of God. Let me ask you a question. Who are the most joyful people you have met? Or who is the most joyful person that you know in your life? When I ask myself that question, I think of, of one family. A family that's close to my own heart. They're good friends of mine. And to share a little bit of their story, they, they, they have very much nothing they live actually under the national poverty line. If it wasn't for food tokens and the support of the church that they belong to, quite simply, they, they wouldn't be in the house that they are in. Yet, I am still to this day, and I've known them for nearly 10 years, to meet a more welcoming, loving, embracing, and joyful family. It's got nothing to do with their possessions because they don't have any. They don't have anything nice. Most of what they have has been gifted to them. But they have each other 
more than that, they have the love of Christ that is fueling their lives. Lowly brothers and sisters are, as James encourages and exhorts, are to boast in their exaltation as they are rich in Christ. I wonder if you are able to do the same. Whether that is because of of limited physical resources and supplies, not a great bank account. Are you able to have the mindset that you can boast in your exaltation? Not that you've been lifted high in this world sense, but from the point of view of God, that God has lavished his riches on you, that you have firm ground to boast in. We'll get and we'll talk a little bit more about the spiritual position of all. We start in a a low position, spiritually speaking. We come bankrupt, we come as rebels, we come disgraced, we come torn from God. We have no grounds to boast upon. But God, in his mercy, stepped down. And through Jesus and in faith in Jesus, we can be rich. A richness that will last forever. A richness which doesn't even compare to the riches of this world. So we have, as believers, may I encourage you, we have solid ground to boast. As we have been exalted high. As we have the riches of God. So that is the first paradox. The second paradox is the poor rich in verses 10 to 11. Read them with me in James chapter 1. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is the second paradox. It's the, the poor rich. Within these, these, these 12 tribes, the, the response of and mentality of the rich has, has really been far from what it should be. You'll pick that up once you read the rest of James. Really, the, the epicenter of that is in James chapter 2, 15, 17, where James just blatantly calls out their sin, that they, they're ignoring the poor. And what, one question that's asked of these two verses, which many commentators will pick up and theologians is, well, who is James specifically asking here? Is James talking about, about rich Christians or is he talking about the rich in general? There's, there's a number of answers and other propositions and some have proposed that the former, that, that, that it's about rich Christians, but I would say it probably suggests about the rich in general, which encompasses both. Just as we, as we look at the language, it seems to suggest, um, suggest the rich in general. It talks about that, that, that they will pass away, that they will fade away in the midst of their pursuits. Believers won't fade away. Believers won't pass away ultimately. Also note that James talks about the, 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 the lowly brother. There's no brother in connection once he talks about the rich. Nevertheless, the, the truth contained within the words that James shares really compounds anyone who has substantial wealth on the earth. And really, James does not hold back here. It's not easy listening. It's not easy reading for the person who has a lot of money. As the, as the heart of one who trusts in their riches is exposed for all to see. It's not that it's sinful to have lots of money, 
but it is certainly sinful to be banking and relying and leaning on the fact that you are rich. But James starts off as saying that they are likewise to boast. They are to boast in their humiliation. Humiliation could also be rendered lowliness. So the rich are to boast in their position of lowliness. And, and the gospel message, the good news of Jesus to the rich is to remind themselves of who they truly are outside of their, the facade of many possessions. What, what James is saying here is that they must remember and we must remember that to come to Christ, to have salvation, free forgiveness from Jesus Christ requires self-denial. It requires an acceptance of the need of outside help. And and spiritually speaking, as we alluded just previously, no one comes to Jesus, no one comes to embrace salvation because of their high standing. We don't have any powerful status once it comes to our relationship before we we come into relationship with God. We don't bring our merits. We don't say, well, here's, here's what I can offer God. No, we, we, we come with dirty, filthy rags. We come spiritually, the Bible makes us crystal clear that we come spiritually dead. We come and we acknowledge our weakness, our sin, and our desperate need for God to save us. And that is that what the rich are to do. They are to embrace lowliness. They are to be humble. In spite of their earthly power and prestige, that they are to boast not in that, but they are to boast that Christ died for the ungodly, and the ungodly includes them. I wonder if the things, and I say that in inverted commas, the stuff, the possessions that you may have, are they getting in the way of you trusting Jesus? Is the things, the possessions, the money, the things that make you feel comfortable in life, are they getting in the way of trusting Jesus? In one sense, the, the exhortation to the, to the rich is far more difficult than that of the poor. Once we look throughout the Bible, we have passage after passage where the rich and powerful are, are really um, brought out and there's open heart surgery done with them. Jesus, on a number of occasions, sternly warns the rich and those who desire to trust in their, their things over God. Here's just a couple of passages. Uh, the first one coming from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Probably one of the most stern, the, the sternest warnings of all as Jesus responds in, in Mark 10 to the story of the rich young man who comes to Jesus. How can I inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him the answer. You have to sell your possessions. And he goes away sad in verse 22. And Jesus says this, just following on verses 24 and 25. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
See, the message presented by God's word shows that the rich, and by extension, everyone here in this earth, is that if we trust in what we have, or better better put, what we think we have, because everything is a gift from God anyway, then we have accepted a lie. We've deceived ourselves because all that we have this side of eternity has no real lasting value. Even in, in this lifetime, there's no guarantee that riches will, will last till our last breath. The rich and famous, they, they, they seem to come in seasons. They come and go. Once there's somebody who seemed to have it all and they're at the top of the world and then within a decade, you've never heard of them before because they've lost it all. Trusting in what we have is a fool's game. See, what is temporal has blinded the rich to what is eternal. James tells us of the futility of this pursuit, but the truth is written right across Scripture. Surely the inspiration behind verses 10 and 11 for James comes from Isaiah at chapter 40. And the prophet says this in verse 6 to 8, A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Humanity, just like grass and flowers, what is temporal will fade away, but God and his word will stand and last forever. So what is the remedy? What is the solution to rectify this mindset? Well, the answer James offers is in our final verse, and that is in verse 12, and it's to be eternally rich. Let's read in verse 12 again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The remedy, according to the Apostle James, is to fix our eyes not on here and now, but on the future. And specifically for Christians, what God has promised to them as believers, they are to fix their eyes on. And James caps what he wants to say with a beautiful beatitude. I wonder if you've noticed just the contrast James has made from verses 10 and 11 now to verse 12. How the rich are the ones, they're, they're busy in themselves with the temporal which will fade away just like the grass. But that's not what God offers. God offers what, is, what James says is the, the crown of life. And this, this crown of life will last forever and ever. And more than that, it is just of far more infinitely greater value. And it's greater in value for, for a whole host of reasons. We've thought about it in regards that, that just think about it, that this crown of life that, that God offers us, offers us salvation. It offers and assures us of eternity in heaven with God. As we thought about earlier, that we will reign with God as co-heirs. But just for a moment then, as we focus in, hold on, just consider the breadth of this crown. When we think of, of riches and power, whether that's in good or, or bad terms, we usually think of, of one person or we think of a small collection of people. We might think of maybe a leader or power. Maybe we might think of government officials. We might think of the royal families, people like that. But once we think of power, status and money, they really only 
uh, aid and help a small fraction of the population. They can only help and support just, just a few to live a more luxurious and comfortable life. Yet when we think of the crown of life, its breadth and benefit is never ending. This crown of life is open to everyone. There's no waiting list for heaven. There's no limit to the numbers of, how it, of the capacity it can hold. This crown of life, this eternal assurance of heaven is available to you. It's available to this entire world. God has made this possible to the entire world through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, God's son, sacrificed his life. He died a criminal's death on a Roman cross for you, for this world. He took the sins and wrath of God on his shoulders for you, for this world. And we are told that Jesus wore a crown of thorns, that his head was pierced. What was a crown of thorns as as mockery, even though he was the king of kings, even though there was a sign that said the king of the Jews, the irony is that he was the king of kings. And because Jesus wore that, that crown at Calvary that pierced his head, he offers the crown of life to us. In fact, he promises it to you, as James says, if you would love him. To the one who stands the testing of your faith, really to the one who endures their life, the suffering that comes. And as James labors and what he wants to get across is, if you are a believer, if you follow Jesus, you will endure suffering. It's not if, but really how much. Jesus promises eternal life and glory with him forever. This is the promise straight from the throne room of heaven. You can trust it. And God is not in the business of not keeping promises. He is the promise-keeping, covenant-driven God. And let, let's be encouraged now. We, we can trust God. You, as an individual, can trust him. But tonight whether that's for the first time in response to, 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 to saving grace, would you lay down your treasures? Would you stop your foolish pursuit of treasures? It's only a game that's going to leave you broken, dissatisfied, and to be honest, even more wounded than before. But let us take the advice. Let's boast in the riches that are lavished upon us through Jesus Christ thought about just this morning that we have the gift of wisdom at our disposal. All we have to do as believers is to ask and God promises that he will generously give it to us. Let me close with these words. These aren't my words. These are the words of a commentator who respond, who's speaking about these verses in verses 9 to 12. He says this, The wise will choose what is best for the long run. The fool looks ahead five years, ten years, perhaps even twenty years, and plans what he thinks will benefit him. Whereas the wise fixes his sight beyond the grave, for he knows the high will be made low and the low high. Amen.